Hi, I'm Ryan Pig. I'm Eddie Firth. And you are listening to Boys Talk World, the podcast where we go through every episode of the classic TV show, Boys Me- Boy Meets World. Uh, today, we this was this is our first review ever. A review? Should we call it a review? That's kind of a loose term, too, I guess. I like to call this the rewatch podcast that nobody was asking for. Because I definitely, look, I'm, look, I don't really think of us reviewing the show ne- nearly as much as I think of us rewatching it analyzing it as if it were a college course and then relating it to things as we started discussing there's something from this episode already that i think has entered my own view of what love is and how to define love and so it's our chance to just rewatch i don't think of it as a review more as i think of it as a rewatch podcast the the boy meets world rewatch podcast nobody was asking for where we overanalyze a show that does not need to be overanalyzed Yes, and yeah, no one was no one's asking for it, but it's what everyone deserves, you know. <laughs> I think that's what's Did you just put a laugh track behind us? No, that was actually my alarm going off. Oh that's man, perfect we should, timing though. We should, we should we have should, a laugh track. We should just get a soundboard. It should be a um, a soundboard with different Boy Meets World cues. One of them is obviously the Feeny call. Another one is uh, Corey Matthews in the later se- season going underpants and, just, and every once in a while we just hit the soundboard those are our stings to lead into different segments we're like a morning radio show that you listen to in traffic oh my god it's the the, under, the, underpants. the best and worst job i could ever imagine having would be being a, a, a morning drive time radio dj you'd have to be drinking a lot of coffee or red bull i'd drink neither it would be green tea eddie firth powered red green tea Oh, we're already getting sponsors. Okay, um, dude, I've been uh, trying to get that green tea sponsorship for years. I've been trying to get green tea, just not even a specific company, just all of green tea, kind of like a Got Milk campaign. But Uh, should I be drinking this? Should I be drinking this towards camera, or is it going (laughs) to limit the Pepsi sponsor I'll get? Here's a Coca Cola. Mm, If you're doing a podcast around noon every Sunday, drink a Coke. (laughs) Oh man. So I watched it twice. I watched, watched it twice. twice. I watched I it you twice as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think. Were so, you stoned either of those times or both of those times you watched it? I was pretty. I, I was. I was. I was a little high the first time I watched it. I wasn't really high the second time because the first time I wanted to experience it, and normally that's how I'd sit down to watch a TV show. The second time I actually wanted to take notes, and I realized I watched it, and then it. So for the behind the scenes, we record this on a Sunday. This is our schedule for now. It's recorded on a Sunday. So I want to watch it Friday night as if it's TGIF. Then on Saturday, uh-huh. I want to go back in, watch it, and take notes on it. Because we want to actually – look, I, I, I put a suit on for this. Of course, I want structure to the show. So we're, we have these little structured segments we want to be able to write to. And so I did that yesterday. I rewatched it yesterday. And then I just threw it on in the background while I was getting dressed right now. Oh, so three times. I didn't really watch it the third time. I realized that was would have been look. Let's say Boy two and Meets, a half. Boy Meets World episodes can handle two watches. By the third, you're like, I don't need to see this again. I, I had see. that distinct feeling. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think uh, I mean total of times I've seen the pilot probably like eight, but mm-hmm. uh, in the past week, you know, I've seen I just saw it twice, and then I went mm-hmm. back to see because we're going to talk about Feeny later and his and his um, knowledge he impresses upon all the characters throughout the show. I went back to kind of get that Feeny quote, but you say you have two Feeny quotes. I just have one. So I'm interested to see 
later on what your your Feeny quotes are from this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's start. Let's start by giving a quick recap. Talk about uh, the title of this episode is obviously pilot. It aired mm-hmm. September twenty fourth, nineteen ninety three. I have the writer and director right here as well. I want to give credit. How, how old were you when it came out? Ninety three. I September nine years old. Nine years. Old. I don't think I watched. I, I don't think I. I mean, I definitely didn't watch it. I, t- I didn't watch TGIF for a while. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't know TGIF was a thing until fifth or sixth grade, maybe. I don't. I don't know. I don't remember exactly when, but it was not. I was not cool enough to have known. It was right. written by Michael Jacobs and April Kelly. Those are the creators of the show, mm-hmm. and directed by John Tracy. This, I believe, is the only episode John Tracy directed. Interesting. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I definitely. So you, let's see. You were so you were. Uh, when did you watch the episode? I think you may have kind of answered it earlier. I think I probably caught on to Boy Meets World um, when it came to either uh, Channel Eleven in our area was WPIX, and it also then became the WB channel in time, and it, it kind of shared that uh, a little bit, but. I either caught it in reruns there or on the Disney channel when it was in syndication. But I think that happened pretty early, like 97. So I'm 13 at that point. So somewhere between 9 and 13, I saw my first episode. I cannot tell you. I remember this episode. Like once we watched this episode, I remembered it. But I had no recollection of it before. Like while it was happening, I was like, oh, yeah. But beforehand, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, that episode where... I don't want to. Obviously, we're going to tell the plot, but I'm not even going to spoil the plot until we get into the plot recap. But I, I don't. You know what I mean? Did you, did you remember this episode as you were watching it? I remembered certain things. Uh, I remembered. I remembered him doing the. That was probably the first show I saw where it's like they have a secret radio in their ear, listening mm-hmm. to the game. Um, we've all either worked in an office or been at you know at school and done something like that where we're trying to listen to something without our boss or teacher noticing. So we're like, we got like long hair over it maybe, or we got like, you know, our jacket on that's a little bit higher. (laughs) Why would you say long hair to me? (laughs) Well, you've worn wigs before. I've seen pictures of you. (laughs) You've worn wigs before. Well, you've worn wigs before to hide earpieces when you're listening to the game in class. If, if If you're starting, if you're starting a new job or if you're going back to school soon and they don't know what your haircut is, just wear a wig so you can put headphones <laughs> underneath it and they won't know what you're listening to stuff. Uh, why don't you but, give a, like a like a recap? Well, like to, uh, sure. Let, let, I don't know. Do you want to go through the episode beat by beat? Do you want to give a, an entirety of a recap? I feel like here's what we should do. Here's what we should do. We should have discussed this before we started the podcast. We kind of did, but let's let's throw caution to the wind. I'll give like a little paragraph summary, and then you take us beat by beat through the scenes and such. How's that sound? While you're giving the summary or after? No, like I'll just give a straight out, like if I were trying to give like a two or three sentence, like what's this episode mm-hmm. about? You know, like young Corey Matthews and his family live next door to Corey's, what are they, in middle school at this point? He's 11? Sixth grade. Sixth grade. They live next door to his teacher. So this in this episode, uh, Mr. Feeney is teaching the class about Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Corey gets in trouble. What do you mean incorrectly? Romeo does not stab himself. Go on. <laughs> I like Feeney that. doesn't even know Romeo and Juliet. 
<laughs> poises himself. I, I, I want to hear when you when exactly you had a, an issue with that. There were only a few moments that I tripped up against in any way, shape, or form with this episode. But in this episode, Feeney is teaching Corey, Sean, and the class uh, the story of Romeo and Juliet, a Shakespeare classic. While in the meantime, Corey is set to go to a Phillies game with his brother on Friday. The Phillies are about to make the playoffs, and this is a big game. But Eric, Corey's older brother, ditches him for a date. So Corey moves into the treehouse outside. And by the end of the episode, they all fall back. He moves back inside. Yeah. Is that it? That's essentially it, yes. That is that is a perfect timeline of, of the events uh, for the most part, yes. Uh, what I think you you may have left out the detention part, and that's where he, Mr. Feeney, kind of convinced him to change his ways and and give his family another shot because they had essentially broken up, and that and that's when he went back to his friends and said, "We broke mm-hmm. up. It was mutual, but they're keeping the house." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, a good, that, that's a good joke written by a by a good middle aged white man in a writer's Ooh. room. They all oh yeah that and then also there was uh. Uh, there was a joke where Feeney's talking about all these poets who were, um, you know, talking about love. And he's like na- listing all these poets that go back to, you know, 18th, 17th century. And he's like, do you know what they all have in common, Mr. Matthews? And he's like, they were all in your class. Ah, clever joke writers. Yeah. <laughs> a first uh, old man joke um, of the show. I'm one of many. I think, but um, yeah, so I would say something that stood out. Uh, do you want me to kind of go through like what stood out throughout the episode to me? Yeah, go, go for it. I, I think, oh, first, especially I think, since episode one, let's just, let's just rock and roll and see how, how we would naturally discuss this episode. So the first thing I noticed, they're in the cafeteria and they're kind mm-hmm. of re- like Corey's already kind of, you know, giving Mr. Feeney shit and Mr. Feeney's kind of, you know, lecturing him how to be a good person. And he goes back to his table and uh, they're like, so how long did you guys stay up? And as 11 year old, like it's staying up in baseball, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for these three. And uh, they're like monologue, monologue, first guess, monologue, first guess, bad sketch, monologue, first guess, bad sketch, funny zoo animal. And then the guy from Sandlot's like, <clears throat> monologue, first guess, bad <laughs> sketch, funny zoo animal, Steve. Is, for anybody who's just <laughs> listening to the podcast but isn't watching, Ryan absolutely smoked a cigarette and flicked it out before <laughs> delivering the line that the actor who played Squints, because Squints is in this episode in what's considered the death chair, because that's a, a rotating best friend for the first few episodes. Uh, Ryan flicked a cigarette out of his mouth as he delivers that Steve Lawrence line. Man, that kid. Yeah, you could see he was kind of nervous. I don't know if that actor had done live. I don't know if any of those actors had done like live TV shows before that. But you could mm-hmm. tell that there was a little bit of nervousness in like his delivering. But he, he came through at the very end with the whole monologue, first guest, bad sketch. Um, I was thinking about what it would be. Oh, first of all, what show do you what late night show do you think they were talking about? Because Letterman was around, but so was, I think, Carson. In 93, um, in 93, I can I, I actually know this for a thousand reasons. This scene is actually massive for me. But 93 September, that means Johnny would have been retired already and Jay Leno would have taken oh. over the Tonight Show. And, yeah, and Conan was probably new. So they probably were talking about Letterman. There's a it was either it was either Letterman on CBS, and I'll be honest, I don't remember the exact date Letterman goes to CBS, 
But by late 93, Carson is retired. Leno has taken over and Letterman is probably on CBS. Um, the reason this one, look, I think that this whole opening scene is awesome. Of course, Feeney and Corey talking trash right away to each other, establishing one of the most important relationships, but just Feeney gives Corey a hard time. Corey shoots right back. But that, that conversation at the table is actually insanely real to me. Uh, my parents were divorced. I couldn't stay up and watch late night TV during the week. I was lucky if the TV was on past nine or 10 o'clock. Of mm -hmm. course, late night starting at 1130. But on Friday nights, on the weekends when I would go visit my dad, when I would stay at my dad's house, that was absolutely a marker of where I was, how things were. A huge thing that I shared with my father was staying up to watch Letterman. I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut, right outside New York. There was no question. Letterman was the guy. So we yeah. would stay up on a Friday night, every other Friday night, and I would actually determine – how much time I was spending with my dad or how cool it was based on did I get to see Letterman's monologue, the top 10 list. I would always use, usually he'd always let me stay up for the top 10 list because Letterman's top 10 list was classic. But then if it was a really, for a really good first guest, I would get to watch that first guest. And then you're talking in that 12 o'clock range, it was time for me to go to bed. And so in my head, they're watching Letterman. And in Philadelphia, I'm going to say Letterman as well. Leno took a little time to, to catch on. It wasn't cool with the cool with the younger kids knew as much as Letterman would have been. So I'm just going to say Letterman. Yeah, that's that's what I've I've probably assumed is Letterman because you know Carson may have been a little bit older. Leno probably yeah it would have taken a, a while. It's funny because growing up, mine was I think most people in my generation was probably Conan, and now and it's like. And now it's Fallon and Corden, I think, a lot of people's favorites. Oh, and Greg Ferguson, we also, like, my generation also kind of liked a lot, even though he was not as long-lived as Conan. But I thought, you know, both mm -hmm. both pretty great late-night show hosts. Um, I was thinking about how nowadays it would be different. If they, if they did this now, it'd be like, monologue man on the street. Monologue man on the street. And audience <laughs> game. Yep. Monologue man on the street. Audience game mean tweets. Yeah. Monologue <laughs> man on the street. Audience game mean tweets. Jason Siegel. Whoa, you stayed up for Jason Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> you Chalamet, you saw, stayed up for that? Um, oh man. I I would stay up for Jason Siegel now. I don't Oh, I was gonna say I wouldn't stay up for Timothy Chalamet, but he kind of won me over on SNL a little bit. He was better on SNL right. this past year than I thought he would be. So I I maybe. If he was on with Letterman, I'd want to see how Letterman tweaked him. I definitely enjoy seeing uh, serious actors host SNL more than pretty much anyone else, even even funny actors. If When mm. funny actors go on, I'm like, I'm sure it'll be funny. But mm. it's almost the surprise of seeing someone like, because John Hamm always loved comedy, like he did improv and, and stuff before Mad Men. So he was kind of wanting to do comedy a lot. So maybe, you know, him and other actors who do SNL, it's like their time to shine their mm comedic goofy goofy side like almost a relief of like oh i don't need to cry in this scene i think we should petition snl to get the cast of boy meets world to host as a unit mm. so sean Corey, eric topanga and mr feeney all host the show as one unit yeah that'd be a great that would that'd be, be a great episode let's call lorne i'll call him i opened a so, door for him once did not say thank you you opened the door for Lauren Michaels? Yep. He did not say thank you to me. He didn't even – he looked through me like I was part of the door. 
Yeah, because 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 he knew <laughs> he knew that would be the rest of your life. You're opening doors for him, but Lauren is not opening any doors for you. I wasn't even an employee. I was a guest. It was his show. I was I was watching a pilot that he was putting up, and he was like, "Thank you, citizen." What pilot? I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. It was a it was the first Mulaney pilot. Oh, nice. I think uh, NBC's version. So to end that opening sequence after Corey and Feeney are talking trash and then they go through their late night thing, it's a line that they end on right before the title sequence that is clearly written by grown humans, but mm-hmm. is absolutely relatable across the board, no matter who you are. And I think it's Sean who delivers it. He or somebody just they stand up, they go, Well, four hours till lunch. <laughs> I don't care if you're the Flintstones. I don't care if you're the teacher or the student. I don't care if you're working or at school. It doesn't matter. You get to work and your first thought is, well, four hours till lunch. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's how I start my day. Four hours till lunch. Yeah. Six hours. But, yep, that was <laughs> – th- it's, it's funny you said that, actually, um, that these, like, writers and, you know, it's – it was meant. It was one of those uh, shows that they started where they're like purposely want this for the younger audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were like this is going to be in the TGIF but lineup. Uh, it's going to be between I think it was Family Matters and uh, Family Ties, another family show. And uh, they were essentially like this is going to be you know more towards adults. And in some of the reviews I I read about the show uh, about the pilot, they were like this is you know kind of for kids because it's about a kid but at the same time watching it uh you know you can be an adult and still mm-hmm. enjoy it that's why they got you know william dance play feeney because mm-hmm. they're like this is the this is like a famous actor that you know adults will kind of mm-hmm. recognize so that was i think that was a lot of like the draw for adults is like oh it's you know it's still funny to me yeah. and it's on tgif so what else am i going to do it's friday no yeah. friday time to watch tv from there, uh, after the title sequence, they go into the classroom. This is where Feeney's teaching them about Romeo and Juliet. I think that this scene is one of those like standard formatted scenes that in every every sitcom about kids in school, this exact scene has played out. I, I, I remember this scene from Saved by the Bell, where you literally have one student laying on the desk pretending to be Juliet and another student pretending to be Romeo acting out the scene to start it off. Um, I'm going to jump to this right now because I'm not going to use it later, but I definitely thought of in the recasting section, well, since we have Squints playing Romeo, we should have had Wendy Peppercorn playing Juliet and we should have just had the two of them doing that scene because it was a mirror image from their scene from the Sandlot anyway, just with way less him abusing the situation and way more actual Romeo and Juliet. But they're there. Feeney's trying to teach it. And this is, I think for me, this is also where you talked about live performance experience, but this scene and a few scenes within this, I don't know if it's natural instincts. I don't know if it's classes he learned. I don't know if he's got experience on other things or if they directed him, but fucking Ben Savage's timing, his comedic timing on that bit where Feeney comes up to him to expose that he's wearing, uh, that he's listening to the game on his headphones, the amount of time he takes to react, letting it play before he looks, and then obviously it's written in, but the way he plays and pretends that this is actually his hearing aid, that's such <laughs> a Zach Morris move that it, it 
I was in love with it because that's the kind of shit I would do. Like, what? I can't hear you now. You took out my hearing aid. Not the radio that you can clearly hear has the Phillies game playing. Right. Like, I can trick this 50-year-old teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and I love I love the brazen writing. But genuine great performance from, from Ben Savage's Corey right there because he's, he's his timing in this episode – there are just a few little moments where he he holds the extra beat or he gives the look at the right moment and, and flawless for 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 what he was doing. I propose something. We give out an unofficial Emmy to to some actor in each episode, whether it's a main char- main actor or a, just a guest starring role. Every episode at the end of this, we say like, okay, this was the best. This is who it's going to be Feeney most of the time, but we're going to give an Emmy to one actor each episode i would say in this episode then based on this scene and one or two others ben savage steals it from feeney for this episode only in that william daniels as mr feeney turns in he's he gives one of those performances that is so solid you can overlook it where ben savage comes in and steals the performance which may not be better than william daniels as feeney overall even in this episode but just stole it from him because out of nowhere he's got those little those little moments those little bits I agree. Yeah, this was this was pretty. He, I was very impressed because you know, I I don't know how exactly how old Ben Savage was. I assume twelve or thirteen when this was filmed. I think he, but, I think he was in the eleven eleven years old range. Well, I know he's born in nineteen eighty, so I would make him at least twelve when they were filming this. This is, it came right. It came out in ninety three, unless they filmed it like a year before. But mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah yeah I think uh, yeah I think his acting was very impressive. Uh, for for a kid, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was, yeah, that that I I mean I was rewatching and I was laughing out loud. Uh, maybe it's because of a little nostalgia, but for the most part, I was like, oh, this is a pretty funny first episode of a show. You don't see that too often. A lot of times, it's hit or miss with the pilots. Mm-hmm. So where'd they go next after the after he's detention? Mr. So Matthews. this is, yeah, he gets detention for it, which was really funny because there was definitely a big standoff moment. This is also where I think. So one of the, the one one of the questions I think we should we should ask and answer within this also is how it stacks up as a pilot episode and as a sitcom episode, but here they they definitely get into kind of trying to frame what the essential problem of the episode is and also trying to frame as a pilot what the essential uh, conflict in the entire series will be. But this is where I got one of my first Feeney quotes because I think it kind of sets up what a lot of the episode is going to be about. And, you know, it's when he's shooting back and forth about what Romeo and Juliet is about. And Feeney says it's about all it's about the all consuming power of love and the inevitability of its influence over each of our lives. Right. Because Corey says something like it's it's just about two kids killing themselves over love, which is also really funny. I once saw a production of Romeo and Juliet that I did not think was as well put together as other shows that I've seen and other performances. And I got a sense from this show, right? I watched this version of Romeo and Juliet and all of a sudden because of, of their production and who they had and how they played it, I was like, oh, this isn't a love story. This is two whiny kids who fell in love for like a day and caused a lot of problems over adolescent love. And I think if... If not told right and not played right, Romeo and Juliet can be very, very adolescent. Um, but here he's, he states very, very plainly, it's about, all, it's about the all-consuming power of love and the inevitability of its influence over each of our lives. Are you aware that I'm 11 years old? 
<laughs> Are you aware that you have detention, Mr. Matthews? <laughs> That's exactly how it played out, too. Yeah, I, that was, uh, and, and Corey reminded us several times through this episode that he's 11 years old. I'm 11. You do it, you do it, you do it, good one. I'm 11 years old, I don't get scared. That was another one. So after after he gets his detention, which he doesn't seem to mention, this was this was one of the only trip points for me. He gets the detention and knows ahead of time he's got to go to that baseball game on Friday with his brother, but he just shrugged it off. He gets home and sees Eric, and he's like, I got detention, but don't worry, I'll meet you at the bus. And that's when Eric drops the bad news. The bad news that he got a date that everyone else in the family seems to be excited about, except for Corey. Mm-hmm. Because they're all like, Eric's uh, not as cool as a lot of older brothers in other TV shows and, and movies in the 80s and 90s. Because uh, <laughs> at first you're like, oh, this guy got a date. He must be a cool guy. And then later yeah. on the episode, he's like, I'm not cool. Newsflash, I'm not cool. And Corey's like, I know, or something. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows Eric isn't as cool, apparently. Yeah. But you know, that was that was probably a bit of a twist to uh, people watching. It's like, oh, the older brother isn't cool and the most popular kid in school what you're used to seeing in, in a lot of 80s and 90s movies back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's used to, Corey's used to going to the game with his bigger bro- his older brother, and now he's realizing he's getting older. Uh-huh. Uh, foreshadowing to, you know, when Amy, his mom mentions that, um, that their dad, the Alan Matthews, his dad, will also realize Corey's getting older. He doesn't want to hang out with me anymore. Uh-huh. And uh, it's like a vicious cycle of the family. But that that comes in that you know that that comes into uh, Feeney's whole point at the end about love and uh, crazy the things that crazy people do for love like not hanging out with their brother. Did you yeah. did you kind of get to that point? Did you ever have like that with your brother where your brother like stopped hanging out with you because he wanted to hang yeah. out with a girl? There friends? was definitely a point. You know, I have an older brother who's four years older than me. It was not as definitive. It was not a stark contrast and we still to this day have a great relationship and we did for a while but there's definitely a point where he right if you're 12 and your brother's 16 or you're 13 and he's 17 the problems that you're dealing with the state of growth and adolescence and maturity that you're in are just way way different and and there are times Mm -hmm. and places for the younger brother to hang out with the older brother and then there's times that the older brother has to go do something that the younger brother just can't be a part of but i'll also say that I wanted to be a part of what my older brother was doing my entire life. And as far back as like five years old, I remember I was five years old and he went to a friend's house to watch WrestleMania five on pay-per-view Hulk Hogan and the macho man. And I wasn't allowed to go because I was the younger brother and I couldn't just be injected into any situation. So when it comes to, I think love between a younger and an older sibling, there's always going to be, you know, those two relationships, Corey to Eric and then Corey to Morgan, which also provided me an interesting uh, insight into my own relationship with my sister and how I had viewed my younger sister and what I wanted as an older brother for her and what I ended up giving her. It, I will be very, very, very frank. I definitely cried in uh, that final tea scene with Eric and Morgan. Which she's we'll a, get she's to. Adorable. Yeah, the uh, I think it's Lily. Is it Lily Nixay? Is the mm-hmm. season one or two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's a very adorable Morgan. I think um, you know all the characters kind of change their purpose and role throughout the show. But in the very beginning, they're like, "All right, Eric is." Uh, they're like, "All right, so 
Uh, Amy is a great mother. Uh, Feeney's a little uh, annoying, but wants to just take care of Corey. Corey's a rebel. Morgan's adorable. Eric is horny. Go. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was our direction. Feeney's straight up mean to Corey in this episode. Yeah, when the when the teacher's like, "Oh, I'm sure he doesn't hate you," and he's like, mm, yeah, "No." I mean, he's yeah. they like from the get go because this is also early '90s where sarcasm is at its absolute height. Sarcasm could not be more cool or interesting. So Feeney being sarcastic to the kid is just like, I mean, perfect. It it it, yeah. it works, but it doesn't work because he's just out. He's not even authoritatively mean. He's picking on him like he's another kid kind of mean at a certain level, which is funny. Right. I think I remember as a kid being like, wow, Corey's like really annoying, but Feeney's handling it pretty well because I didn't know any teachers who would take up, well, put up with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, Corey, if I was like Corey to any of my teachers, they would just, they wouldn't even say anything. They'd be like, get out of my class, sit out, mm-hmm. sit outside and I'll talk to you later. Yeah. That would, <laughs> and Feeney's just so like, oh, it happens all the time. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I would have thrown something at that kid if I were you. So after Eric drops the news that he's going to be taking his date to the baseball game, Corey runs downstairs to involve his parents at the exact moment in the episode where I was like, if he has tickets to a baseball game and his brother's ditching him, wouldn't the parents be involved in this somehow? And at the exact moment I thought that, Corey runs downstairs and wonderfully uh, their father makes the point, like Eric bought these tickets. He can do with them as he wants because these were not a gift. They're not the family tickets. Like He went out and bought these tickets. If he wants to bring somebody else, he can bring somebody else. I found one of the most intriguing facts of Boy Meets World, something that now is set forevermore in the universe of Boy Meets World. Full House exists as a television show that they can watch because they say something about an emotional maturity level. And Corey says, I'm not even emotionally mature enough to understand full house. And, and Morgan's Morgan, like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I thought. I was like, Oh, uh, uh, Eddie probably caught that. You know, oh, are you kidding me? Reference. I clock, I clocked it right away. That was one of the very first things I noticed was, okay, well, full house exists in this universe. Mm-hmm. So no cross, no crossovers with full house. You can't have no. those characters pretending like they live in the same reality. Yeah. But yeah, I did, that was I did think it was incredibly funny too. Not only do they reference full house, but this is almost where the irony and the meta starts because it's such a clear I don't even want to say copy of full house because it's not a copy of full house, but they share such similar DNA down to the fact that they use the young, cute, the, the young, cute daughter to give the ultimate go home line on the episode, which, or, or, or right before the commercial break, which I'll be honest, as far as sitcom laughter goes, got me. Cause he goes, Oh, great. I'll just hang out at the baseball game with my little sister and her plastic doll. I might as well run through the outfield in my Spider Man underwear. And do you remember the line that Morgan gives? Well, you don't have to dress up for me. <laughs> I wrote it down. You don't have to dress up for me. And I loved it. I loved her <laughs> delivery. I loved that that line was written. I love that it came on top of her making a comment about Full House, but then herself being a ripoff of Michelle, saying something that Michelle or Stephanie would say, because they would give both of those younger characters these really, really funny, quippy lines. Because who doesn't? 
who doesn't love a little kid saying something that they, they don't even understand? Right. Like there's no way that that actor who's playing Morgan understands what she's really saying when she said, well, you don't have to dress up for me. Yep. She said that line in the table read and got a big laugh. And then she's like, I'm going to be so confident saying that in front of the audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it went to commercial break is what mm-hmm. you would, you would say. They go to the, yep, that's commercial break and they come back and they're all having, uh, this is Corey, Sean, and Squints. I'm just going to call him Squints. I don't think he goes to the next episode. I think he's gone after one episode. Anyway, they, didn't so we just... say, they didn't even say his character's name. Oh, no, no, no. He's just random friend number one. They, I, I think, think originally like the show was supposed to be about these three friends, but they could mm-hmm. never find a third. And that seat that he sits in was eventually called the death seat. Because as we, I'm assuming, we'll see going forward every week or for the first few shows they have a different best friend sitting there with them and keep rotating. And it isn't until they get Topanga. And I think they actually warned Topanga, Daniel official, not to sit in that chair because whoever sits in that chair is gone by the next week. Um, so so is, that chair like always, is that chair like all, always empty? Obviously. And I have not watched ahead. I'm refusing to watch ahead because we're doing this podcast. But from what I've been reading online and what I saw in some of those panel discussions, that seat just, it's a rotating seat. There's a different actor next week. And then the week after that, there's a different one. And the week after that, there's a different one until they finally land Topanga as that third person in this sort of trio of friends. Minkus hasn't made an appearance. Um, You know, this makes me think of, so there's a quote that I will always quote, and I'm not even sure if I have the right quote from the right person, but I'm going to attribute it to this person anyway. Always a good idea. Always a good idea. I believe <laughs> this is a Ray Bradbury quote that I heard. And Ray Bradbury, from what I remember hearing of this quote, and this quote will stand even if he didn't say it, even if somebody else did, even if I get it slightly wrong. He said that you never learn how to write books. You learn how to write the book that you're writing. And I've always felt with anything creative, especially television shows or movies or books or projects, you never actually learn how to make TV shows. You learn how to make the TV show you're making. And in this instance, we're watching them learn how to make the TV show that they're making. In so much as this entire first episode is all about love, Corey does not even have a love interest. He's just being introduced to love as a teenager, just as a concept, starting first with the familial love, but through Eric and Feeney exploring that external love, that um, the kind of love that is deep enough, but not born in familial. I don't know, romantic love? I don't want to categorize it simply as romantic, but you know what I mean? Because he's also going to fall in love with Sean in a certain way, and they're going to explore that kind of love. But as a Mm -hmm. sitcom, they don't, they don't introduce the major conflict within the series or even the show. The show, this episode, while I like this episode, does not seem to have some sort of well-planned, thought-out, overarching structure in terms of here's the problem, here's what happens, and here's how he overcomes said problem and the lesson he learns through it. A lot of that is a little specious because, much like the death chair and the rotating squints, they're still just learning how to make this television show, not just any television show. They don't know. It's clear that while a lot works, that they have Feeney and they have Corey, 
they have no idea what Boy Meets World is actually about yet. In a very charming and wonderful way, though. Yeah, it's almost like they're like, all right, each episode will have a lesson that Corey meets. Almost like mm -hmm. part of the world that's mm -hmm. important to the world. And that first episode, they're like, all right, let's start with something big. Love. And then like, all right, well, we got to make our, our way to cults eventually. Like, yeah, yeah four, fourth season or something. So yeah, I, I kind of I kind of felt like that. Like, oh yeah, they're just kind of uh, they're testing, you know, they're testing this format of like, oh, Mr. Feeney teaches him a lesson about the world. Really, it should mm -hmm. have been Corey meets Feeney, mm -hmm. but but it's boy meets world. So we the boy it, is represented by Corey, and the world is kind of different characters or situations being taught to Corey and his friends throughout, and his even his family and Feeney throughout the series. It's almost as if they, the way this was structured and the way you imagine a pitch like this and a pilot like this is made, I imagine it that part of the, part of the meetings, part of the writing sessions, part of this process was, well, he's in school. What would he be, what would be taught to them in school? And how do we tie that to a larger issue? Was well, Romeo and Juliet? Everybody has to read Romeo and Juliet. And it's almost like they built, the rest of the episode around that but didn't have enough of the other ingredients to make it so specific to Romeo and Juliet because again look the truth is for some people Cory and Topanga are a love story version akin to Romeo and Juliet but we don't introduce that with the Romeo and Juliet episode it's it's it ends up being about something wildly different even though so that's what I imagine I imagine they were like well well, we'll just tie every episode into whatever he's learning at school. So this week, it's going to be Romeo and Juliet. Next week, it'll be a science lesson, and somehow we'll tie science to whatever he has to learn or or a history <laughs> lesson. You know what I mean? It's almost like they were taking the school lesson and trying to apply it back, but it didn't actually cover all those bases. I do feel like Feeney teaches several subjects throughout throughout the series. And at mm -hmm. one point, they're like, eh, he's just the principal now. Like, yeah. He doesn't need to teach him. Or they, uh, maybe he still. I think he may have still taught them as the principal too. But mm -hmm. yeah, he, he, throughout throughout the series, it's mostly Feeney teaching different characters lessons, and then Feeney, of course, you know, he at some point is the boy who meets world and learns a lesson or two. I did note that in this scene with Corey, Sean, and Squints having lunch. Did you see what Squints was eating for lunch? I noticed what Corey and Feeney were eating later in another scene, but I did not see what Squints was eating. No, why? Oh, dude, you have to go back and just watch this scene. There's there's a second thing that he unwraps, but I will tell you, I don't remember. Oh, I know what it is. One thing he unwraps, it looks like um, a sandwich made out of cinnamon raisin bread. You ever see like the swirled cinnamon yeah. raisin bread? Yeah. But that doesn't, that's nothing. He He's sitting there and Sean makes one little snide comment about Squints being an only child that's really random thrown away, but it's because Squints is unwrapping a full piece of chocolate cake that is wrapped in saran wrap to eat for lunch. Like if you go back and watch it, Squints is just quietly unwrapping his saran wrap and it is a full piece of like double decker chocolate cake that this kid is eating for lunch. These kids. My mind was blown. You said, Eddie, were you high when you watched it? Yes, because I watched this kid unwrap a piece of chocolate cake in the middle of the cafeteria like nothing was going on. Like that, 
Dude, if you unwrapped a piece of chocolate cake in my cafeteria at lunch randomly, the whole ca- that would have been the biggest news in the whole cafeteria. All 200 students would have stopped and be like, you have a piece of chocolate cake for lunch? Who's, who are your parents? Willy Wonka? Throughout, throughout this episode, the kids are not eating well. And Feeney's the only one that's trying to stop them from type 2 diabetes, the inevitability of it. Yeah. And uh, and no one listens to him. Even yeah. even later, I'll just say it now. Corey's eating. It's this. I think it's the next scene or two. It's the next uh, scene because we go after after this lunch scene where Corey, you you said earlier, Corey explains he's divorced his family and he's moved out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's living in the treehouse and his mom brings him dinner. Right, and the dinner we see later is a giant ass turkey leg, and he later reveals. And meanwhile, Feeney's over there <laughs> across the way eating a bowl of leaves. Just doing just leaves. No, there are no no tomatoes, onions, nothing. No, no vinaigrette. I all I saw was a bowl. And he later says it was a salad for two. And I'm like, sure, I guess if you want to go crazy, you can say it, it was for two people. But either way, it's just green leaves that they found on the floor, probably, and props. Yeah. And then Corey's over there <laughs> eating a turkey leg. And the next day, he 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 comments that uh, he was also eating chocolate pie. Mm-hmm. So this kid is eating like like a king in the 15th century. He's just going to town, and his mom, did, you know, I brought you a turkey leg and and apparently chocolate pie. Oh, she says it because she hands him a paper bag. Because again, I had just been focused on this piece of chocolate cake, and then Mrs. Matthews shows up with a brown paper. Apparently, in suburban Philadelphia, wherever they're living. You just yeah. send chocolate pie and chocolate cake in your brown paper bag anywhere, anytime. You don't worry about leakage. You don't worry about a mess. You just throw it in there. Chocolate pie, chocolate cake. They tra- Apparently, they travel way better than I ever knew them to travel. They're, they're very common um, brown bag foods. And the props were like, well, Feeney, all we know about his eating is that he's pretty healthy because of that thing he said to Corey at the beginning. So let's just... Leaves? Any tomatoes? That even that could be unhealthy. Let's put some, <laughs> some leaves in a bowl. No wonder makes, his are canceled. Yeah, you know, when you say he ate leaves, you make it sound like he's in the land before time, and he's just one of the plant <laughs> eaters looking for a leaf somewhere. There's like a Did giant leaf with leaves? water in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put, this is the best meal ever. Um, look, incredibly poignant scene especially because and you want to talk about moments this is because why does a pilot like this get picked up if it doesn't have structure what is it like where do you see the humanity in it i think as far as an episode goes this is a really good episode and one of the moments is that silent movie that Corey watches where he's sitting in the treehouse and feeney sets the table for two silently gets a phone call hangs the phone up silently takes one of the plates away and then sits down and eats alone. And that is one of those beautiful, it translates to every language. It translates to every age. You know exactly what's going on. No matter what he got a phone call that whoever he was expecting for dinner is not coming anymore. And even though Corey is not experiencing love himself because of Romeo and Juliet being taught in school, because his, his brother, Eric has just ditched him for, um, a date that he's going on, Corey assumes that Feeney had a date and the date canceled. Also because we do see, we had seen Feeney sitting and talking with a, a new teacher that we don't know about. So Corey's making the assumption that Feeney has asked this teacher out on a date. 
to his house, by the way, which is like date number four, not date number one. It's yeah. Well, if, I guess if you're older and there's not a lot of clubs that you can that you want to take your date to, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna turn 37 soon, and I don't know if I've ever asked someone over to my house for dinner for a first date yet. You'll I maybe, get there eventually. Look, He's a little Feeney's a little older than me in this in this episode, but I don't know if ever I don't know. Has anyone listeners, has anyone ever been asked over to somebody's house on a first date and had it go really well? Like a classy right. a classy And are you uh, still alive? Salad of leaves for two. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> leaves for two. That's Bowl the name of, of this episode. One is called Leaves for Two. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you what I re- this was one of the moments I remembered watching as a kid mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and let me tell you the reason i remember it when i saw feeney get a call and then and then ate by himself <laughs> i was so young i think when i watched this and i had seen other things that made me made <laughs> I, me assume that you know what i'm about to say I, think so. I i initially thought he had gotten the news that his wife had died <laughs> which watching it now would make him a psychopath because he just okay okay goodbye i gotta put these plates away and uh sit down and eat <laughs> all right let's reenact that call i will i will be the hospital or Great. the police I, I guess police would call you although they normally show up to the door i'll call you from the hospital and tell you your wife is dead and you're feeny and then you sit down and you eat ring Next. ring uh, hello uh feeny's residence uh, hello, is this Mr. Feeney? Yes, you may talk, call me George. Mr. George, um, yes. we have some unfortunate re- news. Your wife, ah. your wife has mm-hmm. passed away. She is now dead. Good heavens. Thank you for telling me. I hope we didn't ruin your dinner. Have a good night. About to eat some leaves. Goodbye. I'll put this uh, silverware away and uh, eat this bowl of leaves. This is probably worse than my wife dying because these leaves don't look appetizing at all. I kind of lost my accent there, but I'll work on my feeny throughout the show. It says a lot more about you that you figured someone got a call that their wife died and continued to have dinner. Not even continue to have dinner. Put her plate away first, which I had an internal debate with myself for a good 10 minutes about if I got that call, whether I would put the plate away first or just finish eating and then do it. What would you have done? You get a phone call. Look, forget that we already know who actually was on the phone. Pretend it's not your wife. Pretend that scene plays out. You're expecting you're expecting someone for dinner. They call and say, I'm not going to make it. You've already set the table. Are you clearing their place first and then eating or do you just eat and then clear it all together as it were? Eddie, I'm glad you asked. And this is where my mind comes into play and everyone's going to be like, that doesn't make any sense. And I, I'll tell you, yes, I know. I would eat with the plate I had for me. I would put that plate and everything away and leave the other plate meant for sister slash date or whatever there because the next night I'm going to be taking all that stuff out anyways for the next meal or maybe even for lunch. Who knows? Maybe it's the weekend. So I would be, yes, I would. I would leave it out because I'm going to need that the next day. It's practical. And that's, and that's, I know the audience is yelling at me. Like that doesn't make sense. You're going to be looking at that plate and it'll remind you of how sad you are the rest of the day. But uh, you know, it's just practical. Leave the plate out for the next day. That's a level of efficiency that even I don't get to. Cause my level of efficiency (laughs) was just simply, I'm going to sit down and enjoy my dinner. I have to clear my plate when I'm done. So I'll just do all the dishes at once. It's kind of like, 
you know, after I'm, I finish making something to eat, I don't do some dishes, then go to eat and then do other dishes. I just wait and do all the dishes together, mm-hmm. which I don't actually do because I live with a roommate. So I try to keep the, the kitchen clean. But were I to do it normally, I would just I'd leave the pots and the pans and everything that I cooked dinner in until I cleaned them with my actual dinner dishes. Mm-hmm. I would have just left it for that. But he needed to look. He needed to silently communicate to Corey and the audience that the phone call was, in fact, someone canceling for dinner. And he wasn't just being rude and starting his leaves early. I, you know what? That would also be interesting. I wouldn't put it past Feeney to have uh, made a big thing out of it. So to make it if he knew like Corey was watching, like I'll teach him a lesson about love during detention tomorrow. First, let me uh, invite my sister, who I know will cancel or even just like acting it out yeah. <laughs> and then lying to the teacher the next day about his sister canceling. Listen, if I'm Feeney and I know if I if I'm Feeney and I know Corey is watching me, or in fact, I'm going to do this as as his next door neighbor often because I never know when he is or isn't watching. What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw that plate against the wall. I'm going to break <laughs> a couple chairs. Like I'm going to go full on like tear out the tear up the whole place and then <laughs> sit down and eat very calmly. You know, like I, I get the call, I put it down, I take the plate, I throw it against the wall, I smash something else, I break a chair over my knee, then I sit down and I eat my leaves. Corey runs into the house. I think we should move. <laughs> Schools and houses. No, <laughs> like I thought you were like, you understand. We should call the police. He just threw a dish because he got a phone call. I I thought you were gonna say. You were going to fake an, a heart attack to see if he would. <laughs> and, then, and then his parents rush over and it, and he's like, answers the door. You answer the door calmly like, hello, a heart attack. No, Corey said that. What was Corey doing spying on me? <laughs> Corey is in big trouble. <laughs> me being Feeny faking heart attacks randomly to see if the kid is paying attention actually reminds me of what I did when I was a kid, which was I would randomly hide in the hallway closet to wait for somebody to either notice I was missing or come into the closet to get something and then scare them. And no one ever did. So that, that feels a lot like that prank where I'm just randomly like just dying in the middle of my apartment, looking around, waiting for somebody to come in and be like, I guess nobody's paying attention right now. I want to see a therapist unpack that. Like, so you would hide waiting for someone to notice you weren't there hmm. or to come get their jacket so I could scare them. It was one of those, I had nothing to do that afternoon. I was like, look, either I'm going to scare the out of somebody when they get their jacket or they're going to eventually be like, where's Eddie? Well, either way, either way, I've got an afternoon ahead of me. Just Which someone also- going, where's Eddie? And in the closet. <laughs> so this episode also touched me because I lived a real life version of this in a much less dramatic, but also more dramatic way. One time, um, this was before this show aired. I was much younger. I think this was even before my younger sister was born. So I was five years old at the time. I think I told my family, I I announced to them I was going to run away. I was like, I'm going to run away and you won't know where I'm going. And I think it was my brother who just went, you're going to go to that clubhouse in the backyard, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, never mind. And I gave up. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, I was like, because we had like a little uh, wooden clubhouse that was built in the backyard. And that was my plan. I was going to run away to my backyard. But when my brother called me out for it, I was like, yeah, never mind. And I just gave up on it. I feel like that's how every kid ran away. It would start with an announcement. You'd have to get the family <laughs> 
did you ever on the same pre- i didn't i didn't my brother did and it was very similar it was like a town hall meeting kind of thing like, <laughs> I'm that i'm running away from home you i am accepting donations i will i will be waiting at the end of the driveway for the muppets to drive by in a bus or something i don't really know how this works <laughs> i'll find out as soon as i pack and then of course it was like a huge blanket you throw all your stuffed animals in or whatever you need tie it up and then put it at the end of a stick and then you like walk down yeah that's brilliant maybe put it in a wagon can i, I borrow the wagon I didn't, I didn't get to that i had just decided i was running away to my own backyard which again you want a therapist to unpack you ran away to my own backyard i mean you've got plenty there so after Corey. After Corey and Feeney have dinner together, but together but separately, um, Feeney eating his leaves, Corey eating his chocolate pie, um, Corey breaks back into his own house to get a pair of underwear for school. Mm-hmm. I like that this whole ruse has been allowed, right? They're kind of pretending with Corey that he's left the house, even though he clearly has not. So his mom jokes around, his dad jokes around, like everyone's kind of like, yeah, you ran away to the treehouse in the back. Oh, oh, man. Oh, man. And they have a discussion where his mom and this look, if there's any if there's any collegiate level criticism levied against this, if we were going to study this script and this episode as how to write television and how to make an episode of a sitcom, this is one of those areas where I think it kind of it doesn't hold up as well as other episodes of television, right? I wouldn't use it as an example because you introduce love in the first act through Romeo and Juliet. You talk about Eric and his date and what that means. Then you move to um, Mr. Feeney possibly having a dinner date and it getting canceled. And then immediately Corey goes into the house and is confronted with, the love a parent has for a child and how that relates. This is just one of those areas where I would say this script plays the, the theme of love in so many different ways. I don't have one single thread that I'm following from for all, look for all 22 minutes of the episode, we aren't getting one story of love. We are talking about love in many, many different forms in many different ways. And in this one, it's Corey's mom literally guilting him in, in a completely non, connected way to anything about how Corey stopped playing football with his dad when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And the night before in another kind of string of, of love, his, his uh, that will, that will come back later is his little sister Morgan comes out and asks if, if uh, uh, her doll could keep him company. He's like, no, why? I don't care. <laughs> and that's another kind of, you know, thing of Corey, you know, outgrowing someone in the family, like this, like the dad, Yep. Also kind of outgrowing Morgan, playing with Morgan. He's not doing that as much anymore or, yeah. you know, playing with her, whatever, kind of like Eric would do with Corey. So I think, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, you know, uh, check out another perspective on a someone before you like judge or, or, or whatever. And, you know, think about how someone's affecting you the same way you might be affecting someone else. So this was kind of interesting. Maybe this is what did that to me. Maybe this is why I'm such a big, um, big fan of that kind of, uh, I guess, thought process or, or just taking a moment to look at someone else's perspective and how you might be doing that to someone else. So that was pretty, that was, that's also something interesting is kind of how they, they had a bunch of different strings of, mm-hmm. of this uh, love story going out going around but in in that instance it worked with that kind of 
if we don't look at this as an episode about love in a specific way, but in this general sense, then it, it, it does all connect. And Corey's journey through it does confront it in many different ways. And ultimately with what, ha- what we know happens with Mr. Feeney's date, it does connect on, on multiple levels. But also a bunch of different strings all being pulled at in different directions in some ways, mm-hmm. you know. Again, I don't think, I think, and we'll get to the analysis in this way. I think any sitcom, to get to the place where those kinds of threads are are held through the characters, because the characters and the relationships are far more important than whatever situation you're going to put them in. The situation is the secondary thing. You need the characters and the relationships first. That's what this show and this episode, I think, built so beautifully. When you talk about this cast, when you talk about these characters, were were, were top-notch almost from the get-go. It obviously is finding some footing, but then to... It's tough for a pilot episode to introduce all of those characters, all of the themes, all of the, the things all at once. That's why when you get a pilot episode like West Wing or Cheers or The Sopranos or Breaking Bad or any of these seminal pilot episodes, Lost, which all feel like they are some of the best pilots ever written because the characters and the stories, the essential conflicts, that everything is in motion, you hit the ground running and you know everything that that show and those people are about from day one, that's the exception to the rule, not the rule, wherein here, the rule is if you can hit that pilot episode and you get major relationships, major characters, and you have the the fundamental building blocks in place, this episode, this show does that from from the get-go. And we see that in the next scene, which is Corey and Feeney in detention. And that, that relationship their characters, how they're going to deal with each other. And you and I know, if anybody's listening to this and you've never seen this show, minor spoiler alert, when these kids, you know, Sean, Corey, Topanga, when they have their final sit down with Mr. Feeney in that classroom, you and I know that episode, right? You and I can recall what that looks like. It is spot on a reflection of this very first scene where Corey is sitting in Feeney's classroom in detention and Feeney is going to quietly give this kid a piece of advice almost off the record, but teach him something. This scene is where this pilot, where this episode, where this show really, really shines. Yeah. When Feeney says, you know, it's clear I haven't taught you anything. So I'm going to teach you about this. If there's Mm -hmm. anything I'm going to teach you, it's going to be about, you know, love, and I think, yeah, I think that's, and then it ends with, you know, uh, him not saying I, I love you <laughs> like more than the mm-hmm. other students or whatever. Um, but really he he does, he, he kind of, te- Corey and Topanga and Sean kind of teach him about love mm-hmm. in another way. You know, you can love your students like they're almost like they're your own kids by teaching, by first of all, being their neighbor, obviously. <laughs> so that's, they have a little bit of a cheat right there being neighbors yeah. with them. But, but, you know, they're, they're as close to the kid as, as close to his kids as, you know, more than any other student he's ever had mm-hmm. um, or ever will have, you know, cause they're, you know, unless, he's really close to them. Unless Mr. Feeney is way closer to a different group of kids that we never <laughs> see him talking to. Unless there are, look, these might be the ups that he deals with, but his favorite students are the ones he's meeting with on his other time. And that's why he's always so frustrated with Corey. He's like, 
Are you kidding me, Mr. Matthews? I've got Steven and Alex doing extra credit in the other room right now, and we're going to go have a long debate about philosophy and history, and i got to sit here and listen to you make fun of me for drinking coffee in the morning when you're eating a candy bar? Like, get out of here, Mr. Matthews. I hate that you live next door to me. I wish the smart kid lived next door to me. I just imagine him hanging out with those with those kids, like <laughs> as older older kids, obviously, but like hanging out with them. And they're like, he has no sarcasm for them, no smart aleck. It's just like talking about how, you know, great a symphony was or some bullshit. Like. <laughs> or he's talking trash about Corey to the smarter kids. I tell you, Stephen, Corey's really driven me up the wall this time. Yeah. I need to work on my beanie. <laughs> you do, but um, do. I'm going to take a moment and shout out. I actually used to live across the street from two of my teachers. There, It was a husband and wife. Mrs. Cutter was not my kindergarten teacher, but she was the teacher in the class next to my kindergarten class. So Mrs. Mm. Cutter and my uh, kindergarten teacher, Mrs. DeMassey, whose house I have visited. And she's the, the teacher who I did go back and read to her class when she was retiring. She and Mrs. Cutter were like co-teachers and like we would join Mrs. Cutter's class occasionally and like watch a movie or do a thing, go to recess. They lived down the street from me and Mrs. Cutter was married to, spoiler alert, Mr. Cutter. And Mr. Cutter um, was a teacher in my high school. He taught um, history. I took his psychology class. And my freshman year, he was actually the basketball, the, the varsity basketball coach. So I actually lived across the street from two of my teachers that I saw in school. And Mr. Cutter used to drive me home after our basketball practices. We had really interesting conversations. Most of the conversations, and this is really funny given this episode, was Mr. Cutter telling me what food I should go get. So he would be uh, like, we would drive by this uh, really nice steakhouse called Giovanni's Steakhouse on the way home. We'd always pass and go, oh, Eddie, you got to go to Giovanni's. You got to get the steak sandwich with gorgonzola cheese and onions on it and then get a little gorgonzola salad and you get the special dressing. Oh, it's the best. You'll love it. You're like, I'm 11. <laughs> I think looking back at it now, I was a fat kid trying to make the basketball team. I think he was trying to get in my head and be like – I know how to derail this kid. I'll mention a, a steak sandwich. He'll never make the team and see what he'll do. I think he was testing me. And I think I failed that test because I went and got that steak sandwich and it was fucking good. And I did not make the basketball team my freshman year. I was a statistician. I was like a trumped up manager. You're like, you did this to me, coach. Yeah. Yeah. True story. A disclaimer, if you're a kid listening to this, uh, make sure you tell your parents when you're hanging out with your teachers, just in case. All right, continue. I you mean, look, yes. However, I'm going to go on the other side of this and say, as we've talked about it, not only do I still talk to some of my teachers, absolutely one of the best resources as friends and advisors in a different way. I, through middle school and high school, my teachers were there for me in a way because I certainly needed some attention that wasn't going to be sufficed just in the classroom. You know, my, whether it was my guidance counselor in middle school, I remember one time in middle school, Mr. Kirsten, um, our math teacher, we had this big parent teacher meeting because I was not doing well. So all of my teachers with my parents all met and I was there and they started the conversation. I'm in the seventh grade and the conversation is not going well because what are they going to do? They're going to talk about all the ways I'm screwing up. And Mr. Kirsten looks over at me and realizes, like, 
this kid does not need to sit here and listen to a bunch of adults talk about how he's not doing his homework. He knows he's not doing his homework. And he literally just goes, I don't think Eddie needs to be here for this. Right, Eddie? You should go. In front of everybody else. Like he's not the he's not the leader or anything, but goddamn, Rod Kirsten. And he would always say to us, Hey guys, my name is spelled R-O-D, not G-O-D. So calm down. <laughs> and that was his big line. But how long do you think he'd been using that? Like as a kid, do you think he was using that? <laughs> my brother had Mr. Kirsten as a teacher, and my brother heard that line four years before me. I think he'd I think he wrote that bit his first year in teaching, and I think Mr. Kirsten used it until he retired as he deserved to be because the kids look the kids kept he kept they getting older the kids stayed the same age i mean <laughs> they'll never know unless they have year. siblings <laughs> i never heard that joke until he said it you know if, if the hits work keep playing them so talk to me about what you think about this scene with Corey and feeney in detention how it played out Obviously, I'm going to talk Ben Savage's timing in this episode, too, because he has to play that whole opening of the scene by himself. Feeney's not reacting, and he's doing the whole, I'm standing up, I'm mm -hmm. walking towards the door. I'm I dancing. <laughs> I'm the in the hallway. They put that dance thing in the theme song. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty great. But, uh, yeah, I think this is one of many uh, – Feeny to Corey scenes that we get uh, throughout the show that is definitely uh, <laughs> you could definitely see Corey being scared. Corey mm -hmm. was like, yes, sir. And then Feeny, kind of like your teacher realizes, OK, settle down, just give him the lesson and then he can go. Mm -hmm. And so he just taught him. He said, um, there's no greater there's no greater aspiration than to have love in our lives those who don't, and then he says other things and he says, those who don't know it will sit in detention the rest of their lives. I mean, Corey's I, like, wrote, I wrote it. this down. If you want this, I have this quote word for word. I went down and wrote this. Go for it. Because this is, this is, I think, Feeney's, Feeney's weekly advice. This is, this, is, this is what we're supposed to take away. This is the lesson. This is the big moment. Mm -hmm. Feeney says, there is no greater aspiration than to have love in our lives, Mr. Matthews. Romeo knew it and died for it. Others know it and prepare salads. And those who don't know it will sit in detention for the rest of their lives. Beautiful. And he's like, I'm 11. No, actually, they, he said before this, he said, you have already made up your mind about love, one of the greatest mm -hmm. things in the world. And, and then that's when he was like naming all the poets. He's like, you know what they have in common besides mm -hmm. that they had them in class. Uh, they they were older than eleven. Mm -hmm. You can't just you can't, and that's I think that's kind of a thing that's like you can be, you can claim you know everything about something, but even these poets don't think they know everything about love and other things in the world. So why do you think, as an eleven year old, mm -hmm. that you know everything about love when you haven't even experienced this particular particular um, part of mm -hmm. the world? Mm -hmm. You should. You're a boy. You should go meet the world, and then that's when the and then that's the show, and then it ends. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the that's the thing that Feeney communicated to him, and it's almost like he's teaching us that as an audience. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the, the real takeaway there. Mm -hmm. it, it's better. It's better to ask questions than think you know the answer. Uh, the thing I'll always say. I think I've said this to you. You know. You know who never says they know they know the answer. The person who knows the answer. 
The minute right. you stand up and you say, I've got the answer, the chances are you don't have the answer because anybody who's close to having the answer is it's like being smart enough to know you don't know anything. That's when you're truly smart is when you realize you're an idiot and you don't know anything. Even the knowledge you've collected is useless because there's always more to learn. There's always another scenario. There's always something else to deal with. This scene certainly actually plays into my theories uh, on love. I didn't realize how closely connected they were, but I have actually said out loud <clears throat> to people in different scenarios that, you know, Shakespeare spent his whole life writing about love and never figured it out or never finished writing about it, never came to a conclusion or solution to the problem. Like, like Feeney says, I never really realized that this episode really framed that for me that all of these people, all of the greatest artists and poets and writers have, have used millions of words to try to describe love and still didn't finish. It's not like Shakespeare's thesis on love was done. It's not like, who did, who did he quote, Browning or the Bronte sisters? Who else? All those people. It's not like they were done. They were just, they were exploring this thing, this powerful whether it's familial or friendly, God knows I fucking love you, and I don't know why. You know? <laughs> There's no reason. It just kind of happened. And I, I, I absolutely, that is a real part of my fabric, which is even I can say I love you to somebody, whether it's romantic, whether it's that all-encompassing I'm deeply in love with you, or my family, or you, somebody that I have grown so close with over the years. And even just saying the word love, it, I would say, well, Shakespeare spent thousands of other words trying to explain what love meant to him and to somebody else. The fact that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get it right or perfect today, tomorrow, or by the end of my life either. I like that you called him Will Shakespeare. Not I William. Do. You're William. too close for that. Bill, no, Bill, no. Billy Shakes. <laughs> do you have a... Uh, I kind of have a moment in my life that is defining of love in a way. Do you have anything, any moment where you look at and you're like, that really helped open up what love is for you and how you define love? Not this... For me, it's not this scene specifically, but I have a moment in my own life that's actually very reflective of... How does one encompass what love means to them and how to express it for their lives? Uh, I can think, I mean, I can think of several examples. Uh, I guess one is uh, when I started falling in love with my current girlfriend, it was my birthday, but I was sick and she, we hadn't been dating that long, but she still, it was, you know, a weekday. Everyone's, you know, had a busy day, it's probably a Monday and it's my birthday. I'm sick. She brings over a Panera bread bowl, which we still need to talk about that commercial, by the way. I don't know if we talked about it last week. Uh, we may have talked about it a little bit and uh, she brought over that. And then we watched Indiana Jones, which she'd never seen before. I don't think she was very interested in it. It's not exactly her type of movie, but she watched the whole thing. And then later on, I was like, Oh, you don't like Indiana Jones. You're, it was a very bad day for you in the first place, but you still like came over when your new boyfriend was sick. So that to me was like, that's when I was like, Oh, I think I'm falling in love with you because it's that almost like a sacrifice mm. uh, mix in. And everyone has their own love language. But I think uh, that's when I was uh, that that's the that's a moment in my life mm. where I was like, oh, this person really does care about me. And in turn, that love grew for me. So by seeing love demonstrated to you, sometimes that's sometimes that that's all it takes to mm. kind of bring you more into love for that person. Mm. How about you? You have a have a love event? 
the one that the one that I will always quote and kind of go back to as a uh, a defining point of love for me is I was probably about 12. I was a little older than Corey was in this episode, but in that range, I went over to my grandparents' apartment in Manhattan. My grandparents had a a home out in New York that they would stay on the weekends or we'd have uh, certain celebrations there, but they also had an apartment in the city on the Upper East Side, Sutton Place South. And we went and visited them very randomly. It wasn't a holiday. There was nothing else going on. It was just a random... A random fucking Saturday, I wind up in my grandparents' apartment in New York City. And on the dining room table, uh, with a view of the East River, are it's a bouquet of the most, they are to this day, the most beautiful roses I have ever seen. The, they were the size of my fist now, open, just gorgeous white, pink roses, and just beautiful. And up to this point in my life, I had known, I'm 11, 12 years old, flowers were for special occasions. So I asked my grandfather, these flowers are beautiful. What did you get them? Like, why'd you get grandma flowers? And my grandfather, without any irony, he doesn't even, I don't even think he knows he's telling me what he's telling me. I don't think it's a story that if he were alive today, he thinks I'm even quoting back. I don't think he remembers it. He -hmm. says, oh, well, I was walking home and he passed the back then they had these these outdoor markets a lot more in New York. It was just these bodegas and you he passed. I was just walking and I passed by and they were sitting outside and your grandmother, your grandmother needed to have them. She had to have them. So I had to get them for her. And it struck That's- me like, here's my grandparents. They're in their late 70s, early 80s. They live alone. There's this is not for show for anyone. They're not trying to prove their love to their kids or their family. My grandfather was still so in love with my grandmother at that age, at that point, after everything they'd been through. And this is the grandmother that um, is a Holocaust survivor and had painted and sculpted and had toured the world now with her book. Everything that they'd been through together, experiencing that. And at that moment, my grandfather loved her so much that he saw beautiful flowers. And for no reason other than just because. He literally said, and he said, she had to have them. I had to get them for her just because they were pretty flowers. And that's where flowers just because became like my new mantra. Like flowers are not supposed to be for special occasions. Flowers are supposed to be just because, and that's real love. When you pass beautiful flowers and you go, oh my God, these are so beautiful. The person I love has to have these. That's, That's great. That's really beautiful. I feel like they invented Valentine's Day for people who aren't like that. Who need a reminder like, oh, you should get your so-and-so flowers or a card at least. We should, we should, we should, we should, uh, we should have just gotten Frank Firth to write Hallmark cards and they would have been fine. <laughs> so that's the that's episode. Awesome. Uh Corey Corey and Feeney have their detention, mm-hmm. right? Um they talk about love. They have that brilliant quote that's Feeney's big advice for the week that kind of frames what they've been discussing this whole time. Corey breaks back into his home in a, own home again. He sneaks in the side door. Their house, by the way, has three different doors easily yeah. accessible at any moment. The back door, the side door, the front door. He sneaks in the side door this time. Mm-hmm. We have that cute scene where Morgan rats him out to everybody. He goes upstairs. He makes back up with Eric. Eric explains it was a terrible date. He was a horrible date. He was bumbling. He was a fool. He tripped over himself. He dropped stuff. And there's no way this girl's ever going to call him again because he was a loser. 
But Corey, having learned something from Mr. Feeney, completely encourages Eric to give her a call because we'll be rather be a fool in love than, I don't know, somebody smarter than me has said something better about that. Corey goes back downstairs and has a cup of tea with Morgan because Morgan was trying to hang out with him the whole time. Right, yeah. So um, kind of that loop around, that loop back where he's realizing, oh, uh, Eric was like to me how I am to Morgan. I need mm-hmm. to give her, I need to give mm-hmm. her a little me time. And look, that's why I I cried at that scene because I had a younger sister, and when she was born, not connected to anybody else like my brother for like you know moving on to play for me. But I had this, this very real thought when my younger sister was born, which was I'm going to I wanted to be a great big brother to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when my brother did have his moment of adolescence where he needed to move away from the family. I kind of doubled down. I was like, well, I'll never do that to her. And then of course we have to, because that is a part of the growth process. And part of loving your family is kind of moving away from them a little to discover who we are away from them. And then moving back towards them in in certain ways. Like nowadays I text my sister all the time. We, I talk to my sister more than almost anybody else in the family. (laughs) And of course we have that incredible look Morgan's timing also. The way she yells, guys, Corey's back. Or the way she throws that doll when he's like, you're going to invite me to have tea? And she just stands up. She doesn't say anything. She's going to ask me to have tea. She just stands up, walks over, grabs her doll by the hair, throws her doll to the side, and then just sits back down. And it was brilliant. Like, so funny to me. Like, sit here. (laughs) This would be, I'm going to jump ahead to one of our things, but this is what I would have pitched. I would have pitched that, Morgan is talking to the doll the whole episode, right? So the love that we see where she's... Oh, I'm going to sneeze. Hold on. Everyone prepare yourself. Oh, God. Edit that out. <laughs> so oh, the love that we see, the way Eric kind of ditches Corey for a date, mm-hmm. and then we see Corey kind of ditching Morgan, I would have had Morgan talking to the doll throughout the episode of like, I'll never leave you. We'll always be friends. I would right. so you get the weird kid talking to the doll, but then the extra punchline of she's promised the doll she's not going to do the same thing, and at the drop of a dime, tosses the, the, the doll out of the chair. That would have been would also, pitch in the room. That's good, also, because it shows how much she loves the doll, but because she's ditching the doll for the brother, how much more she loves her brother. Exactly. See, that's why I think that pitch. Because, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't even have tried to pitch to restructure the love theme or anything. I just would have been like, I just think we have an extra joke with Morgan, which is let her talk to the doll, let her promise the doll it won't happen to her. And then, as you said, not only does she end up doing the exact thing to the doll, but it, it, it just gives more punch to that moment when she picks Corey as well. Right. And then, and then after uh, they're drinking tea, Amy's like, the mom's like, okay, time for bed, Morgan. And uh, she's like, a little more time. And Corey's like, yeah, a little more time. And she's like, oh, so you're going to put her to bed? And he's like, I guess I am. So that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of the mom being like, oh, my kids are better than most kids. They, mm-hmm. they learn things. Mm-hmm. That was a nice little ending before the, uh, the credits scene. Which, by the way, this episode had both a cold open and a post-credit scene, essentially. So when people when when people think that the office invented cold opens in sitcom or that Marvel invented the post credit scene, this show in its twenty one minutes or however long the episode was had enough time for both a cold open with Corey and Feeney and then the tag at the end, which is Feeney. Feeney asking out a colleague in a crowded cafeteria full of children. 
Now I know that this is again, this is how sitcoms work. All of the stuff has to happen on camera and there's only so many locations. But that conversation should never, would never, can never happen in school, in the cafeteria that the children also eat in as you casually pass by them so that you can make a point to one of them that you're actually asking someone out on a date. And it was, in fact, your sister that canceled on you. Like, he right. made sure that those kids heard he was asking her on a date, mostly to flex on Corey. I don't even know if he actually likes the teacher. I think it was just a flex. He was just waiting until they were about to get up to throw things away. He was like, would you like to go out? Oh, by the way, uh, the other night. <laughs> he's like, he's like, Completely Wait. unrelated to what we're discussing right now. Uh, just a factoid I'd, I'd like to give you. I almost had dinner with my sister one time. <laughs> Recently, the other night, while this kid right here was spying on me. Uh, Still not a swan, Anyways. <laughs> But my, I was watching it. With, I was watching that part with my girlfriend, uh, and he was her as a teacher, and my mom's a teacher, and we both looked at each other and we we're like, "That would never. That's not allowed. No I mean, way." Shouldn't, not only should you not ask out colleagues, you shouldn't ask out colleagues while you're both at work, and certainly not in public settings where, in fact, in this instance, you're in front of the children that you need to teach the whole time. But again, it, it's sitcoms, and sitcoms have to happen on camera. That's why that happened there. But what a what a funny scene to punctuate the show with, and then to have Feeny lean into Corey and go, "Confused, aren't you, Mr. Matthews?" <laughs> he said, "Extremely right." Something, uh, something like yeah, something like that. As it should be. So that's episode one. Duh. We did it. What it, what would you have pitched? I want to hear what you would have pitched because I would have. That's my only real pitch to this episode is have Morgan talk to the doll throughout the episode. Every time we see her with that doll. She should be talking to the doll, reinforcing the things that are discussed. So then at the very end, we get the added punch when she does throw the doll away. So I have I have some cut scenes that I have, and they're pretty simple. I'll just go through them real quick. It's Eric well, at the baseball. Scenes. I don't have Oh, that's different. Th okay. That's different from pitches. This is how, okay, we, how would you change this episode? So the only thing I would really change is instead of that last post-credit scene where they're in the cafeteria, Corey's maybe hanging out with Sean in his backyard. We have I don't think we've we kind of saw the backyard, but we don't see how close they are with the fence mm -hmm, and everything. Mm -hmm. that, that's, a, that's the next episode probably. Um, but I would have Sean and Corey hanging out. And then that teacher come out like, you know, walk of shame. <laughs> she, she's got like her hair. not even the front door. She's like, no. oh, you live next to students? Well, I'm going out the back door just to show her. <laughs> well, that, we never really know where the driveway is for that house. It's all yeah. kind of different, but. Uh, but yeah, she comes out and she's like, I had a lovely night. That bowl of salad was amazing, George. Like something, <laughs> something random. And then, and, then it's like, and then it's even more confused, Corey, because he's like, why was she staying the night? That's good. 11 years old, I might know. Um, that's good. So that's the only thing I would pitch. How, what would you pitch over there? I would, just the Morgan thing. I think mm. these are two great additions too. I think we could take this episode, add Morgan talking to the doll and the teacher leaving the house and saying, uh, thanks for letting me spend the night. And then Feeney goes, Haka broke down or some, I think these, I think those both fit into this episode wonderfully. It. You'd have to make it a little G rating. For the I show. do want to jump back for just one moment. Cause I called you, I called you about one specific moment that happened in the detention scene. 
And this is, again, I know we are setting this, this scene up. We're setting up the sitcom we need to introduce to the audience that the teacher and the student live next door to each other. Mm-hmm. But when Corey Matthews tells George Feeney that they had dinner, that he watched him through his window, watch, you tell me you watched me, because this is the exact, I want to show you the exact face that Feeney made when Corey told him he was watching him, okay? Because Feeney was right, and Corey it. tells him. Ready? Tell me. So you say, how, how would you know that? How would you know that? Because you and I shared a turkey leg and chocolate pie while you had a bowl of lettuce. I can't even do it. Feeney <laughs> was so mad. Feeney was, so- was so mad. And my first thought was, bro, you know you live next door to him. Like, you kn- yeah. you brought up that you live next door to him. You think he can't look through that huge bay fucking window of yours and see you eating dinner? You are yeah. about to admit that you watch his family, but the look of anger on Feeney's face as if yeah, he had right. no clue, as if this kid violated privacy instead of just, I don't know, walked outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the look of just, and it wasn't like it was midnight. It was probably 7 p.m. And, like, that's literally, you can see the window that Feeney eats in from Corey's kitchen. You don't even have to do anything extra to see that. So I know we're introducing it to the audience, so they need to know. But Feeney's look of absolute anger when Corey tells him he saw him eating dinner alone made me laugh every single time I watched it. Because it was yeah. just so palpable how angry he was. But it was, why are you so angry? You live next door to him. You know this is going to happen. Like, you know he's a troublemaker, too. So it's not like, maybe he assumed that he was just, like, peeking, like, right in his window. Like, no. oh, what's, what's my teacher doing? Okay, so let's move on. My favorite, one of, one of my favorite segments we're going to do, what deleted scenes do you think there are for this episode? What scenes either got written and cut or got filmed and cut? What scenes should have been added to this episode, given what we have? Tell me what you think, because I have one right off the bat. One is pretty, I would not be surprised if they actually cut it. And the other one, I don't think they filmed, but they, you know, on mm-hmm. purpose. Uh, the, the one that they may have had, but they had to cut, was a girl classmate flirting with Corey and Corey being completely oblivious. And I know that's happened, you know, three or four more times in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the first episode, they probably could have had at least like one character around his age and to show, because not only like we kind of assume that he's not into girls, he's just into baseball and staying up late to watch late night shows. Mm-hmm. But you know, just like an extra, like he does not care about love. He does not romantically. He does not care about girls at this point. This is an 11 year old boy. Most 11 year year old boys are still like kind of a funny feeling around girls or whoever, but you know, for the most part, they're not looking for any romantic thing mm-hmm. to happen. So that's one I would, I, I think you could add in, but was probably, it may have actually been cut. Mm-hmm. One that I don't think they cut, but they could have put in. Uh, if they had more time, was Eric at the baseball game fumbling over himself in front of, I forgot her name, but the popular girl. Oh, my God. Ryan, that's the number. Like, that, to me, is no question that that scene was written and filmed. Like, to oh, me, you think that's, that was- I think other than the fact that it would have caused them to have to build another location, it's probably yeah. written and they had to pull it out. But that, mm-hmm. to me, is the – if you looked at – I look at this section, deleted scenes, as – 
what actually would have been like any other thing. There's a director's cut to a movie. There's a Snyder cut to Justice League. There are deleted scenes for television shows left and right. In fact, fun exercise. If you're ever bored, I did this last year at some point. I went online and I was able to find every deleted scene from every episode of The Office. And if you just watch the deleted scenes from episode to episode, it's almost like a brand new episode of The Office because it's all stuff you've never seen, but it still fits within episodes. So these scenes that I think fit into this show that got cut for time or pacing or budget, they didn't want to build, they didn't want to put in a couple stands. And I think Eric's date should and would have gotten written and filmed and was cut one for time and two because the joke of hearing him explain the date is still funnier than actually seeing the date that's Mm -hmm. one of those instances where telling is actually funnier than showing because you're revealing to Corey that it didn't go well whereas if we watch the scene not go well and then eric goes and tells Corey, it's already spoiled to us that it didn't go well and we that's want to learn with the character. But yeah, to me, that's the, the number one. That's, right. the, that's the scene from this episode that when you say like, well, what scene did you want to see? Well, I wanted to see Eric on this terrible date of his. Yes. And then the only yeah. other deleted scene that I think there is from this is we see Feeney put leaves onto his plate. I want to watch him eat the rest of dinner. I want to know what his entree was. I want to know what his dessert was. I want to know how long he sat there. I want to know what television show he put on when he got into his lazy boy at the end of that date that didn't happen. Like the rest of that scene where Corey is still watching him eat. He's eating salad. He's eating salad. Is that it? Then he puts his plate away and he's done and and that's it. Or is there more food? I want to know. I want to see that whole meal or the meal he has with the teacher. First of all, I don't think Feeney watches TV. If anything, after that meal, he turns on Mozart or something. Motherfucker, he's watching BBC or PBS shows. You can get those stuff even then. He's watching PBS. He's a... Fr- Dude, Feeney watches Frontline on PBS like a motherfucker. I would not I would not be surprised if Feeney was one of those old school, I don't own a TV at the time kind of people. Maybe later he got a TV, but... I would not be surprised if in another episode Feeney says something like, I don't own a TV, and Corey freaks out. You don't have a TV. You look, you're right. Feeney absolutely could be that. He either watches exclusively PBS and old National Geographic and Discovery Channel before Mythbusters blew it up, and History Channel pre-Hitler, we'll say. <laughs> Pre-Hitler. <laughs> right before they got old. I lived the rest of that. Just before start- they ex- <laughs> Before History Channel be- exclusively became the World War II channel. He's just watching the, the musical movie 1776. That's <laughs> starring <funny>. William Daniels, <laughs> who happens to look like him a little bit. All right. Here's my absolute favorite segment of our podcast. <laughs> Ryan, Probably mine too. Who do you recast in this episode of Boy Meets World? Now, the rules of this are very, very simple. One, we want to do our best to not repeat castings so we've given Mm. some like last episode you and i gave some just general ideas of what of things those we can reuse in the future because they weren't applied to specific ones but i always i approach it this way this specific episode who do you want to see in this episode play these roles so i've only cast i've only pre-casted two of the characters and that is you've only pre-recast 
pre-recasted. Thank you. Pre-recasted. <laughs> uh, two characters. That's Corey and Feeney. And I have playing uh, Corey at the age that he is, Adam Sandler. I love it. Do you have who's Feeney? No, no, no. But that's good. Who's Feeney? Uh, Alan Arkin. Kind of a random one, but uh, I would put Alan Arkin. Those are two good ones. I would love to. I would watch Alan Arkin as Feeney talk to Adam Sandler as Corey, especially in that love scene. That would be really. Do Do you have an Adam Sandler impression? Yeah. Uh, Before, but don't do it. Don't do it yet. Do your version of Adam Sandler. Um in detention with the whole i'm getting up i'm leaving do that do that as adam sandler i'm getting up <laughs> i'm leaving it's almost scooby-doo <laughs> 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 can you do can you do alan arkin yeah he's just say, an it, old white say, guy. It's, say <laughs> it's supposed to stink mr matthews it's supposed to stink, Mr. Matthews. That's perfect. That's a great Alan Arkin. <laughs> Which, by the way, apparently Alan Arkin and Adam Sandler are also very close to Bernie Sanders and Scooby-Doo. <laughs> We're not very far from... <laughs> okay, you do Even a better casting. <laughs> Mr. Beanie stinks. Mr. Matthews. <laughs> it's supposed to stink. It's supposed to stink, Mr. Matthews. Supposed to. It is attention. I like that. I like that. So I wanted to, in my recasting of this episode, I didn't want to burn anything good. Because, for instance, we don't have Topanga yet. We don't mm -hmm. have Sean in his full form yet. So I don't want to go into any of the directions and use actors or characters or, or places that we definitely want to go to later when these, char when these characters are a little more fleshed out. Right? I'm a big Save by the Bell fan. I don't want to see Zach Morris and Kelly Kapowski in this episode because it's not a great episode for them yet. Mm -hmm. I did, however, want to play on a theme. And I actually have two themes we can discuss for recasting. And okay. the first theme was one of the best ideas I ever had until I played it all the way out. So hear me, hear me out on this one. Because it was referenced in this episode by, by Corey, I decided I was going to recast this episode using the characters from the sitcom Full House. Mm, okay, I I know who's playing Morgan. Please continue. Who's playing Morgan? It's the the it's Ashley and uh, or what are the Mary Kate and Ashley? Very good. Both of them together. Wandavision's younger sisters, older sisters. Excuse me, Wandavision's older sisters. Yes. Um. But yes. So here's what I did: is I took the characters from Full House and I plugged them into the characters I'd want to see them playing in Boy Meets World. So Corey. Given just the general structure of the ages, Corey would have been played by either DJ or Stephanie. Obviously, mm -hmm. DJ is the more exciting character to put in as Corey because that's the more central. Um, but she's the older sister and Stephanie's the middle. So so technically, Eric would have been DJ and Corey would have been Stephanie. But I wanted to play with it a little because what I really thought of was who did I want to see as Mr. Feeney? I wanted to see Danny Tanner as Mr. Feeney. Uh, I think I say Gibbler. Go ahead. <laughs> so here's who I had, and here's what here's where I'm gonna I'm gonna explain this through, and then I'm gonna tell you the point I got to where I was like, oh my god, you can't do this. So I had DJ as Corey. I then just bumped Stephanie up to play Eric, right? We can adjust the ages there. Hmm. Danny Tanner is playing Feeney. Okay. Uh, Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky are going to play mom and dad because they're this is the other thing about that couple. The couple in the show that actually play 
the Matthews, Mr. and Mrs. Matthews, I always found them to not only be attractive, but I always believed they were attracted to each other and in love with each other. And I think that's a real central part of this show that works is those parents really do seem like they love each other and they have affection and attraction for each other. So Uncle Jesse and Aunt Becky. Mm-hmm. Sean would be played by Kimmy, right? Because if if DJ is Corey, then Kimmy's best friend, Sean, and Morgan, of course, played by Michelle. Now, here's where this fell apart for me. I was like, this is brilliant. This is a great idea. I was so happy with it. Until you get to the detention scene. Because I think there is just something that's a little less comfortable if a male teacher, Danny Tanner, as Mr. Feeney, is giving DJ as Corey Matthews, a young female student, this speech about love in that setting. I don't True. think that plays as well as I would have wanted it to. Because I was just like, oh, if, if you just have Mr. Feeney haranguing Miss Matthews about her choices about love, it just plays a little differently. Yeah. So, and, and and you could also switch their if their genders would switch again. It was a female teacher and a and a boy student. All of a sudden, the "I watched you eating last night" is way <laughs> creepier. Although Aunt Becky is Feeney talking to a young Joey as Corey, a, a, a female teacher talking to a younger male student could still work there, but just definitely not right. look. Corey and Feeney being both male or both female play much better if you have Becky and DJ. If you have if you have DJ playing Corey and Aunt Becky playing Feeney, that works really, really well. Also, um, the other way I would watch it, if because I really do want to see, I really love the idea of Bob Saget, Danny Tanner as Mr. Feeney. You're talking, you know, quintessential TV dad playing quintessential TV teacher in that instance. I think you take John Stamos as Uncle Jesse, age him down and have him play Corey. And now you have, you know, Bob Saget, Danny Tanner as Mr. Feeney talking to Uncle Jesse, Corey Matthews, um, John Stamos. That's a really interesting scene there as well. I think that could play. So I stick with that original casting, but I do realize that Mr. Feeney giving a young DJ Tanner style Corey Matthews, that speech doesn't work the same. It's not perfect, but I, I liked it. Yeah, I don't know if it passed for TGIF show, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting themed. Uh, casting choice. I definitely so, I like think it. that Bob Saget as Mr. Feeney would be fun to watch. And, oh, in yeah. that, and in that vein, and I want, I'm going to say this, I'm going to use this casting later, so I don't want to burn it now, but Danny, Jesse, and Joey fit Corey, Sean, and Eric perfectly. Right, Danny Tanner as Corey, Uncle Jesse mm-hmm. as Sean, and Joey as Eric work as a really uh, fun yeah. Show. But I want to see that in an episode where the three of them and their characters are fleshed out in that way in a really interesting fashion because that dynamic would be really unique. But I don't want to use that on this episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That dynamic doesn't really work on this episode. You can tell because Eric's kind of the cool Mm -hmm. guy that Corey wants to hang out with. Sean isn't much of the, you know, playboy that he later becomes in in some Mm -hmm. senses or cool, you know, cool but silent type kind of guy. But, uh, yeah, I think later on maybe season three or four is kind of – or the, that dynamic of the three guys from Full House kind of come into into play for Corey, Sean, and Eric. So that's that's interesting. In, in that's fact, a good call. I'm actually working on another pot, uh, a new podcast called The Ultimate Cinematic Universe, where I try to connect all these different universes. Oh, yeah. And in that podcast, I am now proposing this is the crossover episode here that Corey grows up to be Danny, Sean grows up to be Jesse, 
and Eric grows up to be Joey. And that full house is actually just a sequel to Boy Meets World. So I'll do that on an episode of Ultimate and Girl Meets World. Is just a, and Girl Meets World is a different dimension. Different, like different, different dimension altogether. Yeah, that's a multiverse. Wow. Thing. Now, just for see, fun, that's I'm, another thing that Mar that they did before Marvel: just the post-credit scenes and the uh, connecting all the characters for TGIF. I, I do have one. I'm going to float one other recasting for you, and it's probably it's only because it's timely. Um, mm -hmm. Since Squints from Sandlot was in this episode, I figured, well, Squints is playing himself, and we're going to recast everyone around him using people from Sandlot. So Corey would be played by Smalls. Eric would have been played by Benny the Jet. Mm -hmm. Beanie would have been played by Mr. Myrtle. <laughs> the mom and dad would have been played by the mom and dad. So you have Dennis Leary as the dad, which is hilarious to me. And Sean would have been played by Yeah Yeah. And of course, that means Morgan, the younger sister, is played by Ham. Nice. It's I been mean, a while since I saw Sandlot, but I got most of those. Oh, oh, oh! It's it's brilliant. It works out perfectly. So, oh, good. You're like it's perfect. And Sandlot was '93, so it yeah. came out uh, when this pilot was out. So, pretty much. So that was our recasting corner. I love I love Alan Arkin and Adam Sandler as Feeney and Corey. <laughs> uh, who who would you have gotten to direct this episode? If you could get a different director, who would you propose to direct it? Because that's our other one. We're going to hire a new director, direct this pilot, this episode, episode by episode, whether we pick Steven Spielberg to turn the episode into a Spielberg film, or we want Tarantino to turn it into a Tarantino film, or we want Patty Jenkins to come in and, and really glam it up like a big action movie like Wonder Woman. Who do you get to direct this episode? You know, uh, I noticed like the dialogue was very like witty and quick at times. Uh, I know he doesn't direct that much, but I would have Aaron Zorkin direct this because I kind of want like the witty like stuff and Feeney to be like, walk with me and <laughs> you oh, know, something like brilliant. that. Uh, either that or Edgar Wright, because it's also kind of like quick mm. and, and witty at times. So that that's, you know, those two two guys, but, Ed, you know, Edgar Wright directs more than writes. Aaron Zorkin just kind of has that, you know, quick talking style mm. with his stuff. I love them. I love both of those. Yeah, I think I you? think you're right. I think the the I think getting Aaron Sorkin to direct would be fun because you would you would have a lot of uh, walking through the halls talking. Mm -hmm. All of this would have happened on the move, and all the dialogue would have been thrown away, and nobody would have cared about anything, and it would have been brilliant. I think that's actually a great Alan Arkin as Feeney and Adam Sandler as Corey with with Aaron Sorkin directing is really really funny to me. They'd win an Emmy. Um, I kind of went back and forth between two directors you're when you hear them you're going to understand they're kind of the same choice even though they're very different choices i went with and i went back and forth between these two and i'll tell you where i land if i have to pick one the first name that popped into my head was james r burroughs you know jim burroughs maybe what, what's uh, what's he done the, the the number the two that he's known for the biggest that, that he created and directed are cheers and Will and Grace, oh. and Taxi. He did Taxi. So Jim Burroughs is like the sitcom director. He did 15 episodes of Friends. He did Frasier. But he's known mostly Cheers, Will and Grace, and Taxi like are his big things in the same way that I thought Norman Lear for All in the yeah. Family, Mary, Mary, uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Maud. And I went with those because this episode is so classically family sitcom. And I think it worked really, really well. I was like, the only way to make it more family sitcom is to get the people who created family sitcoms 
to imprint even more sitcom onto it. But there, mm-hmm. this show is already aping, mimicking, homaging. It's essentially created by Norman Lear and James Burroughs because this is coming directly from them. This is the bloodline. This is, this is the, the ancestor that gets born from those shows. Um, but I think you take Norman Lear and use the cast of Full House and you make this episode and you just take what's already a really good pilot and a good family sitcom. You just turn it up just that much more because he's going to pull a few extra laughs and a few extra heartstrings. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's a good idea. Especially if it's starring Scooby-Doo and Bernie Sanders. Mr. Matthews, Mr. Matthews. I'm 11. <laughs> All right. I was almost I Scooby as Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to preview next week's episode. Do you know the name of episode two? Oh, I feel like something about a fence. I feel like I saw it. I paused it before it could start because Disney Plus really wants me to just keep watching. So episode two of Boy Meets World is called On the Fence. The original air date is October 1st, 1993, written by Jeff C. Sherman and directed by David Trainer. Episode two is entitled On the Fence. Now, I did accidentally see the description in Disney Plus, but before that, I did write down what I thought this was about. But what do you think On the Fence episode two is about, Ryan? Oh, let's see. Fences, fences. Well, this classic sitcom is kind of like a parody of, uh, of, uh, of like the, what is it? Not Huckleberry Finn. Anyways, it's where they, the guy teaches, he, he tricks other kids into thinking it's fun to paint the fence for him. Mm-hmm. So they're all painting the fence for him. And, uh, but I, I assume it's, it might be more of just Corey needs to paint a fence or broke the fence, maybe. Uh, to, like between Feeney and mm-hmm. like, probably more Feeney's fence. So he probably broke Feeney's fence. He has to either repair it or paint it or something like that. And he keeps avoiding responsibility. And the episode's about responsibility. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm still waiting for the hair one. I know it's in season one. Something Corey about Corey's hair. hair. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I feel like he had the haircut that I ended up with when I tried to get Eric's hair. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what I'm waiting for, but that's not the. I don't think this is that episode. I think this is something about Corey breaking the fence. You know, something a little nuanced. We'll see. I don't I like know that. Much. I like that a lot. Uh, what I wrote down was Corey is having a moral issue presented to him by Sean. Can't decide what he's going to do, so he goes into the backyard and talks to Feeney about it over the fence. Right. And Zach, because I'm thinking it's this classic on the fence, but it's it's that I'm in the backyard. Feeney's on the other side of the fence telling me this other thing. And he's ultimately swaying me towards the more moral stance. But Sean has brought up again. I know. But I know Sean doesn't do that yet because Sean hasn't done anything yet. But I just I'm so locked into the. In fact, I think the very first episode of Boy Meets World I ever saw was the one where Sean blows up. The mailbox. I think that's the first episode I ever saw of Boy Meets World. So I just always associate that with like, like that's the pilot to me is Sean blows up a mailbox and then has to come live with the Matthews because he's going to run away from life. Yeah. Cor- yeah. I, it's, it was surprising to me how rebellious Corey was because at one point he's like, let's just go buy some tickets from the people who have extra tickets. Scalpers. And I'm like, that sounds, that sounds illegal, Corey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How old are you? 11. I know you told me a thousand times, but Sean is not the rebellious type. Sean's more of like the nodding and, oh, that sounds fun kind of guys. Like, I can't do that though because I don't want to get in trouble. We don't know anything about Sean at this point. No. So, yeah, that is, 
That would be interesting. But you did kind of describe every episode after the pilot of. Okay, well then Sean I'm going to double down. And then Corey Shit. is swayed swayed a certain way by Feeney. I know this is not the episode, but I'm going to pretend it is. Sean and Corey's friends all get a pack of cigarettes and they want to smoke. <laughs> They're going to smoke some cigarettes. Corey can't decide if he wants to smoke cigarettes, so he goes into the backyard and has a conversation with John Adams about tobacco and taxes. John Adams. Uh, you know what? I'm going to change mine, too. This is the one where Corey and Topanga get married, but Sean still wants to be friends with them. All right. We'll see who's right. Was oh, that, Were either of us right uh, last week when we guessed the pilot? No, not even close. Other I than, think we even close. I think the only prediction that was right is I def, um, he was definitely in a Phillies jersey in detention. I remember him being, yeah. I mentioned the Phillies jersey in class. But again, that's also like saying Sean caused trouble that Corey had to deal with. It's describing most of, in fact, I'm going to guess we see that Phillies jersey on Corey in class within the next three episodes again, if not the very next episode. It'll probably be almost every episode. <laughs> it would be like you saying Eddie wore a suit and I had a flannel shirt and a hat on. I, like, so everything we've ever done together is what you're describing? And we and we roast a famous dead person. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch Historical Roast with Jeff Ross on Netflix. My name's Eddie Firth. My name's Ryan Pig. This, and was, this was Boys Talk Boys World. Boys Talk World. I don't know. It's because we're virtual. I don't know. I hope it said it. We said it at the same time. We didn't say it at the same time. You say it, then I'll say it next. You do it. You do one. I'll do one. Uh, Boys Talk World. That's is that what you wanted? I'm Eddie Firth, and this has been Boys Talk World with Eddie Firth and Ryan Pig. Like we've never hosted a show before. I'm Eddie Firth. This is I'm Ryan Pig. Thanks for listening to Boys Talk World. And then, and then that's it. <laughs> and these boys talk world. Boys talk. This road that we call life is what we're doing. The boys talk world. <laughs> See you guys next week.